1: This where I take over, oh my gosh, I'm already on somebody else's podcast and I'm hosting my own podcast all at the same time. This is great because I wanted these guys on the Big Sky Breakdown. It is Big Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Alpine Touch as well as Blackfoot Communications. I'm Coulter Nuanas. you can always find the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Sorry for having such a you know cut and dry, just media guy intro. These guys got real music. These guys got everything tubs in the club this is actually i think that the podcast that maybe has been around the longest in the big sky conference besides maybe the big sky breakdown so uh this is a uh it's good collaboration so thanks for inviting me i'm happy i invited you and uh this is fun guys thanks for having me montana obviously at idaho on saturday i'm colter duanez and uh i'm happy and excited to get into all of this stuff with you guys uh for all of our various audiences
2: Yep, and for Tubbs of the Club, watchers and listeners, you probably just caught on. And we have Coulter Nuanes joining us this week for the little Brownstein, but joining myself, obviously, I'm your host, Chris Hammond. We're Tubbs of the Club, the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandal Field on the Big Sky Podcast Network, and I'm also joined by the Professor Brian Marceau from Office Hours. How the heck are you, Brian?
3: I'm doing great. I'm still reeling from the fact that I have to be in Denver for a wedding for a family member who lives in Missoula, but... Otherwise, doing great. Can't wait to talk uh, Idaho-Montana football.
2: And running the show from the shadows, Dallas Hammer, how are you?
0: I am hanging in there. The Anaheim Ducks season has started. They don't look as bad as normal. Maybe they're going to be okay. I'm in a pretty good mood.
2: And we have no Alex Boatman for you today, which means I know you guys are going to be bummed. There's no West Virginia football update, which is is kind of a bummer. Um, but I, I'm assuming they won. Or I guess some people look happy. <laughs> uh, so we just lost uh, their Coulter's back. And as you heard from the intro, we're joined by Coulter Nuana's today. So we're going to be doing like a joint show uh, and talk little Brown Stein. All right. Let's get into Around the Bar. Pull some tabs. Marceau, I'm going to start with you.
3: Well, we, we have to start with the most important topic we could talk about because Coulter, we, we have to out ourselves um, there has been a running joke on the show for the why for a while about Portland State as a top five team. Uh, the joke, of course, it references something we, one of us, we, we definitely heard it from your show. The joke is always on Portland State, but because we've referenced it on this show like 6,000 times, and honestly, you're going to see in our comment thread, listeners will absolutely make Portland State jokes about them being a top five team every single time that it's brought up. Well, obviously, this is a touchy subject. Culture has vanished. But uh, we had to give Coulter time to talk about the Portland State take, defend it, not defend it, tell us we're idiots for not letting it go. But he's going to have to join us in a minute. So maybe until Coulter gets back.
2: Live jewel shows, man. Let me tell you. How what. about
3: until we get back? We give Dallas didn't get to talk Eastern. Let's give Dallas 30 seconds to
0: fill yeah. uh, yeah. the bus. Hide the kids. Game. I can easily filibuster this. I will keep it PG. Uh, So we've all passed driver's ed, right? Did you guys have to watch a video at the end of driver's ed that showed you all these horrific images of car crashes, like bodies, like parts falling out, like awful, awful things to try to scare you into driving correctly. I don't know if that was just me and maybe like Twin Falls, Idaho is a really weird place, but. Watching or listening to the the Idaho Eastern game, because I was driving, I didn't see it, I just heard it. Listening to it, that was what was going through my head, was that that video I had to watch when I was 15 years old of all of these dead people in car crashes that they forced you to watch to scare you into making sure you, you stayed safe on the road. That's what that felt like.
2: And that was Dallas Hammer's uh, review of Eastern Washington versus Idaho. Coulter is back with us. Coulter, Brian wants to – going to give you some time here to defend your Portland State top five uh, take from our Big Sky preview episode we had earlier this season.
3: Well, we have to bring it up too, Coulter, because it's been a running joke on the show. It's, the, the joke is on Portland State, of course, but we have made – that has been a joke in our comment thread 5,000 times. And every time we bring it up, it's always followed up by like, hey, we love Coulter. Have him back. Please come back on the show. You're back on the show. So now it's time either to spend Portland State or make fun of us. Go either route. This is,
2: this is wild. There's two Coulter nuances from Chicago. Yeah, how is this oh, happening? You okay, you guys got me again. Okay, <laughs> yeah. flaw
1: of the, this is not on you guys, but uh, when you receive a phone call, apparently within the midst of this, it's not good for you. So it keeps going in and out. This person keeps calling me. Here I am. Okay, so pose the question again, kid, because I, I'm ready.
3: Okay, we on this show – Portland State top five team has been a running joke. The butt of the joke is Portland State, of course. But every time we bring it up, we always punctuate it with, hey, we love culture, please come back on the show. You're on <laughs> here. You're going to see in the comment thread if you if you look, and we'll throw them on the screen. People will make P- Portland State jokes. There's already one on right now. So sure. wanted to give you the floor to either defend Portland State or make fun of us. It doesn't matter which round you go. But it's been a joke for a while, so take it away.
1: Well, so I think that uh... – Cal Poly, Northern Colorado, and Southern Utah have no real ability to win games in this league, period, this season, unless they play each other. The only caveat I would say that comes with that is that Bo Baldwin could certainly scheme up something against somebody somewhere and just pull one out of his hat, maybe. But other than that, I can't really imagine a scenario in which those teams win games unless they play each other. Northern Arizona uh, has beaten Idaho State, so that sort of gets them a, just quite a little bit above that. Idaho State could beat a couple teams in the league, and uh, they have beaten one, <laughs> one of the better teams in the league, UC Davis, but I just think that Portland State, when you talk about the the bottom half of the league, Portland State is a favorite against that whole bottom half of the league. I think they have no chance because the whole top half of the league. That And that's where this, from the Idaho angle of this thing, that's where the Vandals are fascinating because I don't know where the Vandals fit into any of that. I think that Portland State's a definitive favorite against everybody below them. Like I did my power rankings on Nuanas Now by ESPN Radio Show in Missoula today. And uh, I had uh, Portland State alone in their own tier at seventh. In the Big Sky Conference, and I don't think there's a contender. I don't think they're a contender. I don't think that hardly anybody in this conference is a contender. I think there's like five contenders in the league, and the and the defending Big Sky champions aren't one. So uh, I just think that uh, Portland State they they have a couple things that give them the ability to maybe be a little bit better than the other teams in this uh, at the bottom half of this league.
0: Which is
3: absolutely fair. That's absolutely fair. The joke is that we hate Portland State. That's it. It, The reason I – part of why I like the joke is because even if they're not top five, they're top seven relative relative to preseason rankings, yeah, people get to be off by two. That's fine.
1: At least
2: least you were closer. I had Sac State 10, and that's proving to be rapidly incorrect.
1: (laughs) So I want to ask you guys this. I want to ask you – the. I've talked about this on a variety of different platforms, but the Big Sky Conference, the coaching portion of the Big Sky Conference, uh, some would spin it as fraternal. Some would spin it as uh, inbreds, the wrong word, but incestual, I guess. I don't know. Like there's a lot of connections between staffs. I think that personally that part is interesting, fascinating. I think there's a lot of coaches that uh, come to and then stick in the Big Sky Conference for a variety of reasons, but mostly because most of the places that Big Sky schools are at or around are pretty good places to live. I mean, I think we all live out West because it's pretty good quality of life, you know. But uh, Troy Taylor is sort of completely outside the box of that fraternity. He's got some guys on his staff like, Andy Thompson, the D coordinator and Craig Paulson, the D line coach that are certainly been in the fraternity for a long time. I mean, I mean, most of the guys on Troy Taylor's staff are veteran big sky conference assistants, but for whatever reason, Troy Taylor's sort of this outside the box, mad scientist. And he's 11 and one against big sky teams. I know it's not that big of a sample size, but it's still pretty good sample size. I feel like he doesn't get the respect that people maybe that maybe he deserves. I mean, he's. I watched him out coach Bobby Halk in Missoula on Saturday. I don't really ever think I've seen Bobby Houck get out coached in Missoula on a Saturday ever. <laughs> so it was. Uh, and Bobby Houck said as much as well. So I, I just, I think it's interesting that uh, people. I think people underestimate Sac State because they underestimate that. I guess they haven't even considered the fact that maybe Sac State actually has the best coach in the league.
3: And I got a question too for you. It relates to the Troy Taylor thing being an outsider because I, I don't disagree with you at all. When I first we went to our first media days in 2019 and we used Troy Taylor to get used to talking to coaches because no one cared about Sac State at the time. So we're, we seriously, I just went up to look, I've never done this before. I'll practice on a guy no one cares about. Uh, he was of course, easily the most interesting person I talked to in my mind, but so Troy Taylor coached at Eastern Like he was a, he was offensive coordinator, quarterback coach at Eastern, wasn't he? Cause I remember Eastern fans, a lot of them attribute like Gage Goobrood's progress to working with Troy Taylor, but he still is kind of understood as an outsider.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, so we're not, he, cause he is, I know Eastern fans are, are probably probably typing in the comment section that, well, he spent a year at Eastern and just, you know, co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. But yeah, I mean, you look at it other than that, mostly from like the high school ranks with a little bit of PAC 12 and like the early years, um, And then, yeah, I mean, he coached at Utah, Colorado, and California, right? Like, he's kind of got that Pac-12 pedigree with one quick stop at Eastern Washington before Utah and then coming to Sac State. So, um, yeah, you're kind of right in the fact that he is kind of that outsider uh, that doesn't have any Big Sky connections, you know, didn't go to a Big Sky school on, like, you know, Dan Hawkins and such. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of a fair point that maybe that's kind of the reason they have that success. There's no real overlap between his systems and other people's systems. So that's
1: fair. Uh, also, you-
0: Dammer jumping in to tell Brian he's muted.
3: Yeah, thanks, dude. Um, we transition point we have to have here because we just went over like, hey, yeah, you what, know, why, why are people thinking this about Troy Taylor? Coulter, Idaho fans have got to be curious. Montana looked looked real good to start the year, particularly on the, on the defensive end. Uh, it's harder to look better than giving up seven points against Pac-12, University of Washington. Sure, uh, UW isn't great right now, but doesn't matter. Uh, UW recruits elite talent. They have a great coaching staff. A lot of people love to have. Montana held in seven. Montana dominated Eastern for, honestly, the majority of the game, in my mind. And the last two weeks this Montana team doesn't look invincible the way they did previously. So what what's going on in Missoula?
1: This is the eternal question. Like this, this is on one hand exhaustive to have to think about, analyze all the time, but on the other hand, um, great for content, right? Great for content production, great for podcasting. I mean, this is only—we're only doing this on a Tuesday—and I already done four hours on Nuanez now, one hour on the Big Sky breakdown, three hours on the Grizz fan pod, and now here we are, thirteen minutes in the tubs in the club talking about the same thing. And uh, I think there's a whole bunch of little things that go into it, but more than any of that, I think that um, I think Montana played really well against Eastern, but I think that the way that the way that they lost, combined with the logistics and just the specifics of the trip, then having to go outside of conference play with a weird opponent on a randomly hot Missoula day, with but then also a, a spat of injury and potentially like a virus going around the team not not the bad one, not the one we all want to avoid, but you know, I mean, it is fall in in the Northwest, right? Like we get colds, we get the flu, whatever. And uh, I think there was a lot of different factors that have got into Montana looking flat. But the question of why has Montana looked flat against Dixie State and Sac State, Montana showed systematic issues offensively all the way back to the Western Illinois game when Cam Humphrey threw a pick six. When, when uh, the, the rotating left guard blew a block and Cam Humphrey got smashed on that play, and that's why he threw a pick six. Cal Poly, Montana didn't look good on offense. Eastern Washington, you can talk about every element of the game, but the fact is Cam Humphrey threw two crucial picks down the stretch that cost Montana that game. And so what I'm saying is that the offense is at a systematic issue pretty much the duration of the season. You wouldn't be able to pick up on it against Washington because you're just thinking, wow, the Grizz are hanging tough. But their offense didn't play particularly well against Washington. They did run the ball functionally, which helped them – control the clock a little bit, but really it was the defense that won the day. And that's been the thing is the defense won the day in overwhelming fashion for Montana's first three games. Then against Eastern, they played really well, but that was just Eastern having a a better player at a more important position. And that really then keyed Eastern uh, to getting that crucial victory. But then the last two weeks, the Grizz have looked lackluster. Like They've looked listless. Why? What's the what's the issue? They, they just objectively are not playing – with the same ferocity. Part of that's being shorthanded, but there's also this other element of the why that I think that any and everybody that follows the big sky conference is wondering about. I think a lot of people are wondering about it in jest. I think a lot of people are wondering about it in glee and a lot of people are wondering about it in panic, but most people around the big sky that follow this league are wondering what what's going on. How did this team look so ferocious against a top 20 pack 12 team and then look pretty, nondescript the last couple of weeks in Missoula at home too. I think that's the number one thing is, is it's, a, it's been at home. Like how, how has Montana looked sort of life, not lifeless. That's, that's a far too much of an exaggeration, but they haven't had the same snap. They haven't had the same edge. Why? Especially since they've been at Washington Grizz.
2: Yeah. I think last week, especially that was like, you kind of touched on it like Eastern. Okay that game was weird. Montana kind of jumped up early and kind of let Eastern claw back in it. And then they had to make, you know, the miracle play there at the end, but yeah. And then you see sack state. And I mean, we were talking to, you know, our friends at the Grizz fan pod in our little chat and they were sitting there like, some of them were just like, yeah, I, I don't see us pulling it out. Like this is like around halftime. They just like said that game had that feeling. The team just kind of had that, like, I don't know, like I don't want to say sluggish either, but there's just something like, I don't know if it's Eastern, I don't say break will either that all these words seem too harsh, but like something I feel like happened in that game. Cause they didn't necessarily come out great against Dixie state either that like this team's almost like tr- trying to recapture that, like a Montana mentality of like being more physical than teams on both offense and defense and, having quarterbacks that are super tough guys like Dalton Sneed was a guy that was not afraid to drop a helmet and get that extra yard. And, you know, sometimes stand in there and take the hit to deliver the ball. And I know Cam Humphreys and Chris Brown have just kind of looked a little bit more rattled than I'd say, I guess, Grizz fans are probably used to, uh, I don't know if that's fair to say either, but um, there's something going on with Montana. Cause that defense went from like, absolutely. Maybe one of the top, probably the top in the FCS, and probably a mid-tier G five type of defense to now like, um, I mean, Sac State and East are not bad offenses, but not the type of game you expect. Uh, you know, n- nobody had Sac State winning last week when we when we picked this show,
3: Brian. And well, no one would have said, yeah, Montana's going to average 2.9 2. 9 yards per carry on the ground against Sac State. No one would have said Montana's going to average three point three yards per carry. On the ground against the, you know, the national powerhouse Dixie State. That's really the confusing part to me. It's is- not like that, that
1: part. That part's easy to diagnose, though. Montana's offensive line is nowhere as good as they wanted or hoped it would be. It's in fact just average, which is still better than it has been uh, over the last several years. Which is such a uh, such a hard pill for so many people that follow Montana to swallow. But it has been below average for several years, and now it's only average. But more than that, Marcus Knight, all-American running back, out. Dick Osmo, his backup, out. Isaiah Childs, the third-string guy, out. Uh, this last week, Xavier Harris, the the true freshman that rushed for 100 yards back-to-back weeks, out after the first play. So I mean, they're rolling with Junior Bergen, who is a five-foot-eight, 165-pound converted high school wildcat quarterback from Billings, Montana who was recruited to be nothing but a slot as their primary running back. That's the, the, the long and the short of it when it comes.
3: Let me phrase it different then. It's, so I, I, I guess, yeah, completely accept the points you just made. That, that team still rushed it 58 times against Dixie State. And I know they have uh, Chris Brown, his first start. Uh, that team, that same Montana team that, you know, Coulter just said the run, rushing troubles are relatively predictable. They still rushed it. They rushed it 29 times against Sacramento State. It's a team that is still. It seems like they're trying to do the ball control thing, you know, ground and pound, uh, win the time of possession thing. But obviously, that didn't work against Sac State. They kept the ball for like 24 minutes with the amount of rushes they did. And honestly, the it's it seems from what I've watched like that, like Montana's being a little bit too conservative offensively. But I don't know if being more aggressive even fixes it if you're having that much trouble at the line.
1: I just find it fascinating that they're regressing to old habits, which those old habits, when Bobby Howe had them, were empowered and enabled by multiple NFL offensive linemen, multiple NFL running backs. Like, you can be stubborn all you want and just say, we're going to bash the ball right up the middle, And when the guy that's carrying the ball is Lex Hilliard and he goes on to be a fourth-round draft pick and plays in the NFL for eight years, like, your stubbornness is justified because you can get away with it. But I also think it's so interesting that they are sort of regressing to old habits, yet they're running this no-huddle offense with these slick skill players, including the guys who are the most veteran on the team, who weren't even recruited by this staff. So what's the disconnect? you got a young quarterback. You also have a, a 6'4", 210-pound senior wide receiver who was a multiple-time all-conference guy in Sammy Kim. Seems to me that you just want that quarterback to throw that guy the ball. Yeah, and
2: I was going to say, you think they're missing Samori Touré a bit? Because, like, you're looking at Sammy Kim's numbers. I mean, they're, yeah. they're still good. He leads the team in
1: touchdowns. Uh, second no, but they're not but you're you're but, you're nailing it chris i mean yeah, they're not his, his numbers are numbers. nothing compared to what they what he hoped or what they want i mean this guy is yeah. an, NFL, an nfl hopeful and he's nowhere close to i mean right now at the season end of the day he's not an all-conference receiver and that's not good for him
2: yeah and yeah i mean you look at it i mean a couple guys are kind of taking advantage of it like mitch roberts has got 245 yards and most receptions on the team but only one touchdown and other than that you know maybe cole grossman it's like the the team, Samori Torre kind of opened it up for everybody to be able to get the ball, including Sammy Akem, and, and they kind of bounced off of each other. It felt like very, you know, like Batman, Superman. Uh, and now it's like, I think Sammy Akem, just kind of like, like you said, like you just want to be able to throw it up to him. But I'm sure defenses are keying in on it. And it's just like other people are getting catches and yards, but not like the touchdown or like actual gap plays that are going to win you a game.
3: Well, that all circles back to quarterback thing, because I remember when I was watching the Sac State game, Montana, I was astounded at how long Chris Brown's two-yard gain passes were. What? I honestly had never seen uh, anyone, especially towards the end of that game, <clears throat> the, the difficulty in getting yards passing.
1: Well, uh, on that point, one of my one of my good friends in Missoula, he shall rename nameless, but uh, he's a guy who played in the Big Sky Conference and then played in the NFL for seven years. He's, he's, he knows football very well. And when we were texting about the game on Sunday, he said two things that made me chuckle, but also were very apt analysis. He said, I've never seen a guy complete more 40-yard passes for a two-yard gain. And he said, I've never seen a guy have such little pocket awareness simply because he just can't understand what's going on in front of him. And I think that's what happens when you have a redshirt freshman quarterback We've seen redshirt freshmen be able to sort of hang in this league before, but when they have incredibly stubborn and old-school coaches who have lived their 40-plus years of coaching lives by saying, oh, we don't trust freshmen, (laughs) then I think you get into a really weird situation.
2: Yeah. So so at this point, I I know there's some debate, and I might not be up-to-date on it as much, Uh, assuming Cam Humphreys is healthy for this game, which I don't know if he is. I know there's been talks that some people would just like to see Chris Brown finish it out and get that experience get those reps and kind of iron out some of that, like, pocket fidgetness. Kind of your expert take on somebody that watches this team a little bit closer than, you know, we would. Is that kind of what you think should happen and what you think the coaching staff might be leaning towards? Or do you think Cam Humphreys healthy, Humphreys coming in because, you know, playoffs and championships
1: here's the thing that everybody listening to this podcast whether you're listening to tubs in the club or the big sky breakdown or whatever the thing that everybody's got to understand and so many of the listeners on my side of this have heard me say this a million times but there's a uh there's a distinct detail that you got to understand bobby halk has said this to me on the record many times in my I think I determined the other day that I've covered nine of Bobby Hauk's 10 seasons at Montana over the last 15 years. He said it to me relentlessly. Bobby Hauk's whole entire program and system is based upon team play, personnel development, every phase of the game helping you win games. When one side doesn't play well, the other side picks you up. There is no blame or gratitude or praise given to anybody. We are a team. We win as a team. We lose as a team. Quarterback play does not win football games. Quarterback play does not lose football games. He literally says that and thinks that, and I think that the brilliance of that is brilliant, but the short sighted of that, short sightedness of that is incredibly short sighted too. Right? Like it works so well in terms of mitigating all the potential disasters because you never know when you recruit a four or five star guy who then's terrible. Yeah. The, the most prestigious quarterback in the history of the Big Sky Conference is Dylan McCaffrey. He's an elite 11 quarterback. He's a five-star guy. North Colorado ain't going to win a game. Like Tyler Brugman went from every school on the earth to Montana State, four-star guy. Nada in Bozeman. Like I've seen some of these four-star guys. So I guess if you put all your chips in one basket. I look at Northern Arizona. Case Cooks individually, one of the great talents the league has ever seen. National freshman of the year. Multiple-time first-team all-conference. He's still in the NFL. Northern Arizona hitched their full wagon to a drone Sowers, a defensive head coach, said, we are going to win with this quarterback. Well, they won a little bit. They made the playoffs once. That was one of the times that in the three years out of 22 that Sowers made the playoffs. So on one hand, he could say that's, okay, better than you usually do. But on the other hand, they hitched their wagon to this elite player and he didn't do anything. And so then I guess that's, so that's where it's brilliant by Bobby out. But on the other side of it, it's like, they never were trying to win or lose with Cam Humphrey. He's just the guy that's the cog in the system. And so I never – I mean, I don't think there really ever was a consideration over, well, maybe this young kid gives us a better chance to win. They don't think that the quarterback wins them games that, on that high of a level.
3: Which honestly brings us to a pretty good point. Because we, we just talked about for, while, you know, like 15 minutes or so, like, hey, what's going on with Montana? If you're a team like Montana – Fit who there's you know something not clicking and I don't know if the team exactly can diagnose it. Whatever they look a little bit lost right now. There is not a less lost team they could play this week than Idaho. Coming off of okay. Eastern Washington scored seventy one points in twenty eight minutes. Idaho gave up eight hundred thirty seven yards. Doesn't matter what you want to look at. It was the worst Idaho performance I have ever seen. And God have we seen some bad Idaho performances.
1: Tubbs in the club were the great Big Sky podcasts. Big Sky Breakdown, we're going Big Sky Breakdown mode for a minute now. I got to ask you guys, because I got myself a fancy little iPad. It was sort of a required buy from my collaboration with ESPN Radio and, and Skyline Sports. And I was a little salty because these iPads these days are pretty expensive. But then uh, after it was like, okay, I had to absorb this cost. It's all good. It's going to help make my life more efficient. Then I'm, I've been trying to utilize this phenomenal piece of machinery as much as possible, right? And so I've been having it up in the press box and I use it as like sort of the live stats for whatever, uh, fortunate sports writer, or media colleague sitting next to me, whatever. But I always have whatever big sky game is on, uh, like the, the most pertinent big sky game that's outside of the state of Montana. I always just like put that up in the little right-hand corner where you can like do the picture in the picture. Right. So I had the Eastern Idaho game on Saturday when I was covering the game in Missoula and, uh, First, it was eye-popping with the amount of big plays Eastern had and how Eric Berrier was balling. And then it became a- almost unbelievable. I, I Again, I was watching this secondarily while I was covering a game, so I wasn't, like, analyzing it. I've only watched probably eight minutes of it back on the, the archive version of it, which, by the way, on the ESPN+, Plus, that is the single greatest thing that ever happened to the big sky, particularly me and Skyline Sports, is the archive games because – like I was saying, like, we got all Big Sky Conference all the time at our house now, and I can just fringely watch it while I'm writing, or I can intensely watch it, whatever. Anyways, my question for you guys, though, is this. What I saw towards the third quarter uh, into, like, the late third, before Aaron Best pulled most of his starters, was an Idaho team that was, I mean, like, Andrew Boston's last touchdown looked like a high school seven-on-seven drill against air, Like, Eric Berry filled the snap and just casually tossed a ball to his buddy who was running like 65% speed. And there was no Idaho guy in the in the screen. So I'm not, I'm not trying to pile on here, but like was I seeing what I was seeing? Because it seemed as if there was a couple plays there in that game where there was not a lot of high effort uh, on the team that got 71 hung on.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm very excited to have – here you have Mike Bresky on tomorrow. Uh, to hopefully, get some of those answers.
1: Recorded with yeah. him today. Uh, he was a uh, he was uh, treating it like a uh, a counseling session. You know, I I, I kind of know Bresky a little bit. My brother played for him, and uh, you know, before we started recording, I said, "How you doing?" He said, "Well, you know, I woke up today, decided to make it a good day because the last couple of days have been not very happy because yeah. uh, losing by fifty of your rival ain't good."
2: Yeah. And uh, they were in no gracious mood. That's for sure. They wanted to put up 50 on us or 50 point margin on us. Uh, Yeah. You know what I saw was, I think just the wearing down of the defense, you know, at some point I think our starters, which we're, we're pretty thin in the secondary right now. It's actually of all the spots on our team going into this season, we said offensive line and secondary uh, were probably our two weaknesses. Offensive line has like, montana's shown improvements probably not one of the best in the conference but has definitely shown improvements i think sure. up until the eastern game they'd only surrendered like four and a half sacks or something like that and it you know playing indiana and oregon state something it, it was a pretty good stat line uh and the second i got i got, three, I
1: got two quick i got two quick yeah, yeah. questions just yep. to, to to parlay this yeah one When's the last? correct me if i'm wrong but in my in my perception of idaho Offensive line is rarely a problem, right? Like, usually offensive line is not in the top two or three or four issues that I know has, right?
2: I would say historically, yeah. I mean, obviously we've got guys like Mikey Apati, Joe Scott, sure. Sure. yeah, you know, Josh yeah. Davis, uh, all those guys that, you know, make the league. Yeah. Um Yeah, like, but I feel like maybe it was – Petrino struggling to get the same kind of guys in that FBS FCS recruitment. Mm-hmm. So I so, do feel like we had that that turning point around 2017 where our line kind of went from like 2016 being yeah, yeah. really strong strength to maybe like having a hard time finding like what does an FCS lineman look like compared right. to an
3: FBS
1: lineman. That's a really good point. Let's circle back around to that. Brian, go ahead.
3: On our yeah. show for the last three years, we had last three seasons, secondary and offensive line have been position groups where we say we have to get better here. Right. said in 2019 said set it, set it in spring 2021 said again this season. So the off- offensive line maybe historically uh but relative like existence of Tubbs at the club Idaho in the big sky our line has our line was pretty good it was all right 2018 wasn't great 2019 spring was definitely not good. We we're a pretty bad rushing team in the spring.
1: Interesting. I want to I want to hash the details of that out. In a minute, but second mini question: Darian Nash, is he playing at Idaho? What yeah. happened? Girl,
2: all we know is he opted out of spring.
1: So he didn't did show I think,
2: up. Yeah, I think he did not return in the fall. I think he just decided, uh probably got his degree and said, right. you know, "There's yeah. the door. I'm gonna go start yeah. my career."
1: Man,
3: I gotta uh, jump into. I gotta jump into really quick, Culture. Um, my interpretation of your question of what was going on defensively, we don't know the correct term to use right now what that is fair to like the entire team. Sure. I saw that I think there's there's some serious internal behind the scenes stuff going on in Idaho because I cannot explain there is no way Bresky sat down and said, you know what we need to do against Eastern. We need to give Andrew Boston a 10yard cushion and let him keep it the right. entire time he's right running. there's just not a chance. Right. And I don't know what else to explain because to me, what I yeah. saw, I saw a lack of heart and lack of effort. And, and people who listen to the show, they know I'm usually the guy who tries to point out a stat as sure. evidence for something. I, mean, I just saw that looked like a team that wasn't committed the way they were. The, look, first half against Portland State, we were up 35 to seven. We looked like a very good team. Since, since leading Portland State 35 to seven, we've been outscored 99 to 28 over six quarters in a few minutes
1: unbelievable quick plug yep we we do it around the big sky every other tuesday on my daily radio show nuan is now andrew Houghton comes on with me and uh we were talking about this a little bit uh by the way if you want to subscribe to that it's a podcast as well as a daily radio show so you don't have to be in montana to listen you can uh you to subscribe to the Nuanas Now podcast and even if you don't care about any of the Montana high school soccer or whatever we talk about that we do a lot of big sky stuff so I think a lot of vandals people would would like it. and skyline sportsmt.com too and you
2: break it in the segments that's the best part so you that's can exactly tell, right. Right. why right. oh, I don't so care yeah, about Montana so you, high school right, right.
1: so you, <laughs> yeah so you could just come over and just say hey we want to listen to the round the big sky twice a week that's great like if you guys as people want to come over and say it but uh Andrew Houghton, uh, my guy at Skyline as well as ESPN, we, he and I were talking about this today on the show, and uh, I said, you know, it's a it's a it's a tough situation when you lose by fifty to your rival when you score three touchdowns that shouldn't happen. He's like, yeah, no, like nobody in the Big Sky should be losing by fifty to anybody. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's uh, that there is something. I'm not. I'm not. I agree. I don't want to put words in the mouth of the teams or you guys or anything like that, but, like, the last Andrew Boston touchdown, the seventh and final touchdown that Eric Berrier threw in the, you know, whatever, 41.5 minutes that he played in that game. Like, he didn't even play the whole game, man. Like, it was Andrew Boston just casually. I mean, it was like us playing catch in the backyard of barbecue, man. Like, there was there's not a lot of dudes on the screen. And, like, it, it was just very – so weird to me that how nonchalant it was to get to like a 64 to 14 lead. Like at some point you got to have some pride, right? Like, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought it was very, very, very uh, strange. Cause Eastern's offense is wicked, but like it looked different than it has in any other assault that they've made this year. Yeah, so the average strength, I don't like,
2: know not a bad defense. I mean, maybe they are, but until this point, there's nothing to say we were a bad defense.
1: That's what I'm fact, so confused by. Is yeah. I've, I watch I've watched Idaho three times this year. The personnel there's good personnel on the front seven. There's good personnel. Yeah. There's NFL. in fact a couple like great players. Like there's better players on Idaho than a lot of the teams. That's why it's so weird to me. Like when I was doing the power rankings, I said that with a caveat. I said it's a it's a tiered league, and the bottom half is is pretty defined, and I, they don't really have a chance against the top half. But the only team in the bottom half that has players that can even compete with the teams in the top half is Idaho. That's why Idaho is so confusing.
3: Well, Idaho is confusing to buttress this culture. We've played three big sky games like Montana, where one and two. We've played six pretty good quarters. You know, four we hung with UC Davis. That's competitive from the first snap to last. We were absolutely annihilating Portland State through the first half. And then the following six quarters I already brought up the ninety-nine to twenty-eight, but we've been uniquely awful because honestly against portland state they moved the ball as easily in the second or maybe not quite as easily but close to as easily against us in the second half as eastern did and of course we chalked it up to petrino being conservative which we've seen him lose leads or need big padding to win a game that's nothing close to new but the way that persisted into eastern i i've i was actually struggling prior to the show to how do i even frame idaho because there there's so much what seems to be instability cuz i can't How do you even
1: otherwise. frame Idaho like that what you just said is the defining narrative of Idaho football since they returned to the Big Sky conference
2: yeah i mean that's been my kind of gripe is you know we have assuming Trey Walker goes to the NFL which it looks like he does like between Jeff Cotton both the Ellis's, and Trey Walker at one point this team had four NFL guys on the team at the same time, and their height was five wins. Like, you'd give that to right. any FCS squad. Like, like you got, that's James Madison. I you mean, know. You like, dude,
1: there, there's a moment in time where take Eastern Washington out of the equation, and Idaho has more guys than the other four best programs in the big sky combined in the league. Like, Montana had, has zero guys in the league right now. Montana State's only got one. Idaho's got how many? Like, there's a lot of dudes in the league from Idaho. Idaho has talent for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it points to an obvious answer, but we're not going to go there for a couple more weeks. Uh, uh, where do we want to go? <laughs> Brian, Brian, you're,
3: you're muted. Okay. Thank you. Everyone who listens to the show knows what that point is. Uh, I'm fine saying we're ready for a transition on the show at least. Keeps the game is score predictions, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, all right, is there anything else we want to kind of cover about this game? I mean, Colt, do you have any more like Idaho questions before we kind of try to – you know, predict this or, you know, for around the big sky.
1: Yeah. I mean, t- tell me about the quarterback situation. Cause I know that there's so, I mean, it's crazy cause Idaho's played so many quarterbacks <laughs> in the last, you know, spring plus fall season, like it, the post Mason Petrino era has involved so many quarterbacks, right? Like I think about Idaho quarterbacks all the time. Cause Idaho has always had some of the best quarterbacks. Like obviously Doug Nussfire being on hard knocks this year. That was interesting. You know, everybody that loves Big Sky football remembers John Freeze. Like, when I was covering Montana State, Jeff Choke consistently always talked about the Kamiak kid because that's that was the quarterback when he was growing up in St. Mary's, Idaho, and, you know, the Vandals first started rolling under Dennis Erickson. I mean, I interviewed Matt Linehan, was on my show when, when the Cats played uh, Idaho. Like, Idaho has a ri- very rich tradition of quarterbacks, and then even with However, whatever people think of Mason Petrino, he was still like a a brand name, so to speak, in the Big Sky Conference. Like people around the league knew who Idaho's quarterback was because True. it's Idaho, but also because it's the coach's kid. It's a Petrino, like all of these things. Uh, but since the, that whole uh, scenario has started to change with Mason Petrino graduating and there's been so much that's happened, and I remember texting Brian after the Idaho spring win over eastern Washington man this Bodry kid's pretty good so I hadn't really checked in on the Mike Bodry saga since then why isn't he just the guy and like Idaho's played a million quarterbacks this year so just tell me what's going on with Idaho's quarterbacks
2: yeah so Boatman nailed it I think in the last you know calendar year we've played six quarterbacks that's rare and hard to put together wins when you've played 12 games combined over the two seasons and have had six different guys uh you know coming into the year it was a quarterback competition we have a redshirt freshman uh who's technically actually a true freshman but you know COVID eligibility so for sake of this we'll call him a true freshman and cj jordan that a lot of angels wanted to see kind of like we see with the grizz fans that want chris brown it's like just want that four-year starter. They want the Matt Linehan, the guy we can kind of grow up with, go through the struggles, but reap that reward in the last year or two. Uh, So that was kind of the thing. And then you have Beaudry, who it's like, okay, he's serviceable. I know on our show we talked about, like, well, we had to play, even back to when Mason was there, we had to play Colton Richardson and Nikhil Nair. So we haven't had a starter play all 11 or 12 games since 2016. Um, Beaudry goes down late against Portland State. That's after C.J. Jordan gets hurt on the first drive against UC Davis. Uh, so we've just, like, we struggled. We name a starter finally. He gets hurt. Then we've got this whole Boorish thing going on where, like, he's just an athlete, so you want to get him on the field. But now we're not getting quarterbacks, you know, equal run. But from what we were told, and you know, Petrino and, you know, a lot of college staffs are, they're closed-lipped. Uh, we're thinking concussion, little maybe upper body injury. He was dressed first Eastern, so there's a chance Beaudry plays, and if he's healthy, you'd assume he's probably playing. But you know, they're a little tight lipped on that whole situation. But I so what I'm about, I, gotta, I gotta ask
1: you guys about your procedure. This is a total tangent, but yeah. So you you guys are attending press conferences, or somebody's asking Petrino questions? Uh, Somehow Idaho yeah. is so far outside of the the realm of like big sky. I don't know, like. I follow it because I think it's interesting, and I think it's important for the, our main fan base in Montana. But I also find it just so interesting. Like, I stumble upon press conferences from so many of the coaches around the league, and I, I hardly ever see like Petrino is on the mic.
2: Yeah, so, so right, right right now actually, we're transitioning from an SID. So we're hiring. For
1: so I man, know I that because the guy who was the head of that whole department now, new guy, Jarek Wolcott, shout out to him. He's my buddy, man. Like, uh, He's one of my friends from college. Like, He's a he's a Montana guy. He's from Libby. Like, that, first of all, just from a per, pure personal standpoint, I know I'm biased, but he's the man, dude. He's going to do good stuff for Idaho for sure. But, uh, yeah, no, so I kind of know the whole saga because it, it seems like it's been sort of tumultuous.
0: Yeah. So I want to just follow up on what yeah. you said there, Coulter, real quick. Idaho has been notoriously stingy with media access and – makes it very difficult to do anything i used to work for multiple tv stations in spokane uh when i was there from 2012 to 2015 it got to a point where idaho wasn't good enough to deal with the headache that they were so you have the local media in moscow pullman and and lewiston that will come and interview you know there's the the paper that it's kind of shared they share like one beat reporter uh
1: right right no i, I know that because i've known a couple of those guys like michael Shaw dugar he uh mm-hmm. comes on my show every once in a while now because we're the affiliates for the seahawks on espn uh in okay. missoula yeah, and so we have like a seahawks next. segment he comes on and mm-hmm. contributes and then i know colton clark a little bit too that's done it the last couple of years i guess he was lewiston and then, d- then did he go to that same paper i can't remember but i've known some of those guys so i know what you're saying. Uh, okay, so. Not to completely hash this tangent out too much, but why is there a cantankerous relationship? Like, what what does that stem from?
2: I mean, that's that's probably something Dallas can speak on more.
3: Yeah, Yeah, my experience with Idaho is Idaho is pretty terrified of anyone finding out something is not perfect in Idaho athletics, and that's been for quite some time.
0: That was before Petrino was around. That was before the most recent SID Joe. That was before he was even around. It's just been Idaho's prerogative since, honestly, as long as I can remember. Uh, since I was a student in 2009, it's been like that, where they just don't want any sort of negative <laughs> attention, so they make it very hard to also get positive attention.
2: Yeah, yeah I know Joe Joe, and Jarek have been doing a really good job. Yeah. I thought, well, Joe you know, did, about reaching out to us and getting us involved yeah. for sure. So it's not necessarily the SID level. It's, I don't know, somewhere yeah. along the lines they are – trying to keep an arm's distance as much as possible from anything that require a tough answer.
3: But Colter, to yank it back to quarterback thing real quick. Um, we've also like, I had been told this isn't like official sourcing or anything that Bodry to expect Bodry out uh, non-throwing shoulder injury is what we were told, but that's not been officially reported.
0: Okay. So
3: uh, listeners take that with a grain of salt. If that is the case, what Montana is going to see if we see what we saw against Eastern is, the guy who takes the most snaps is Zach Borish. Montana will – when Montana sees Zach Borish, you, guys, you listeners should think, okay, this is the Idaho version of Troy Anderson or Travis Johnson, as in the guy's a great oh, athlete. okay.
1: Is he's, he like that good of an athlete?
3: Well, no, he's, he's a very good athlete. He's broken touchdown runs in FCS play so far of 60 yards, 46 yards, and 75 yards.
1: What's his story? Where is he from?
3: He's from Kamaikin High School in Kennewick, anyway. Washington, he was, was
1: Kamiakin's dope. I used to cover sports in Washington. Kamaikin's a, a good high school for sports for sure.
3: He was recruited as a quarterback, got to campus, was immediately not a quarterback, has uh, bounced around to through about four different position groups. Late last year, he, you know, he became an emergency quarterback against Eastern. We had our second best offensive outing uh, doing his, you know, uh, speed like speed option against Eastern Washington. Um now he has a package, but then our, where he would come in, you know, we saw him prior to both Jordan and Beaudry going down, but now with those two out, he's kind of the nominal starter. Uh, real question about how he would fare against a front seven like Montana's because he's a great athlete. He's tough to bring down. Petrino's pretty dang predictable with him. Uh, Borish heading into Eastern was the number three rusher in the big sky Um, I have to look up the numbers right now to see where he is, which is just to say he'd been doing great, but his per yard average is buttressed by those gigantic runs. Teams are starting to figure out that Petrino essentially never wants to throw with him. Uh, He did, like he threw seven times over the entire game against Eastern. That's his high this year. Uh, He, Petrino put, had Giovanni McCoy, true freshman come in, and take more of the snaps when Katrina wanted to throw against Eastern Washington. McCoy looks like he has an, a nice arm. He definitely needs time. Through a couple uh, kind of rough picks against Eastern, no question. There's talent, but you know he wasn't a top two quarterback on the team for reason. He's promising. He needs time. He just needs time to cook before he's ready to produce in the big sky.
1: What's but Boris's that's the story? Situation. Where's Where's Boris from?
2: So he's he's the can or from Kennewick, Washington. Yeah. So he was three A. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Yep, three A. So, Washington Gatorade okay, okay. Player of the Year. Okay. He's a judo star. Do they
1: have plans on keeping him at quarterback? Or why don't they want to throw with him? That's, That's a, just the throwing the
3: one's bad. a good question because he. So he definitely doesn't have the arm of an all-big sky quarterback, but like his arm has looked fine when he's gotten chances to throw. Yeah. I'm yeah. unclear. We like it seemed for a while that Petrino wanted to really keep his throwing under wraps until it became a surprise. But, like, that didn't really work against Eastern at all. I, we've been saying on the show forever, hashtag let Borch throw. Let the dude get reps. If you're going to put him in there, let him throw. Like, his throwing arm looks much better than Troy Anderson. So, <laughs> okay. I, honestly, like, he's had a couple long completions uh, yeah. What in his eight attempts on the season. So, I don't exactly understand the complete reservation. He Like, against Eastern, the first <laughs> game he played, his throwing numbers were not fantastic, but his 25-mile-an-hour wins, Eric Berrier was sub-50%. <laughs> Sure. Yep. So it's unclear, but there's clearly not trust from Petrino in letting him throw.
2: Yeah, he missed one slant on a miscommunication with the uh, wide receiver. He threw an out, and the wide receiver ran a slant, and then after that, Paul like refused to let him throw against Eastern. So it's kind of like he sees him make one mistake, and Paul just pulls the plug on the.
1: So he was a in.
2: massive hot take
1: because it seems to be like Petrino used to let Linahan have a lot of room, right? Yeah. Uh, Is the the sickening irony here that Paul Petrino's uh, distrust of quarterbacks or hesitation to let quarterbacks let it rip ironically stems from what is and what was the Mason Petrino era? I have no pushback
3: against that. We're here for the hot takes. We're here for someone who's not us relitigating the Mason era in a uh, in a let's say not friendly kind of way. Uh, That is, look, that's entirely possible.
1: I actually don't even. I actually don't have that much criticism about it. Only because I, I think that one of the biggest systematic problems that college teams have is trying to make guys run systems outside their system. I actually think that. In terms of the continuity of what the system was and what Idaho wanted their quarterback to do, I mean, they built the system around him, symbiotic relationship, right? But, like, he actually fit what they were trying to do, or maybe they are trying to do that because it fit him. Either way, better than a lot of the teams in the league. Now, the pushback here, Coulter, is you're right.
3: If you want to be a bottom-tier offensive team, yes, it was a perfect pairing with us scoring, like, 22 points per game. But if you want to win more than half your games – Unless you have the best defense in the nation, like you just can't score twenty points regularly,
1: right? But don't you think that Petrino's model is it? What if it would have if it would have reached what he wished it would, or like if the return to the Big Sky would have gone like they wanted it to? That like doesn't. I mean, Weber State and Montana State both made the playoffs multiple years in a row, and Weber State one and/or cool. shared the Big Sky with having similarly bad offenses.
3: I mean, you're right. It's just we didn't have the defense that would pair with that. The the last, you know, through 2018, 20. I mean, 2018, we were awful on both sides. Both, you know, both against the run, against the pass, we were awful in 2018, 2019. Huge, huge improvement against the run. We've seen that improvement against the run persist into the spring in the spring season. That was abbreviated. We had the best rush defense in the league. That counts weaker. Uh, But the we just weren't scoring enough.
1: And well, okay, so tell me this though, because the pass. roster seems like it was very much built for that in terms of having, uh, you know, an a offense that's just sort of whatever, but uh, a defense that did have elite players. So I guess the question is the team was built to be like that they were, and the, the missing link was not necessarily the offensive deficiencies as much as to have those offensive deficiencies and still be a playoff team, you have to have a great defense. The talent on the defense is good. Why? Why wasn't, why wasn't the defense better? Like when you have all conference caliber talent on your front seven, why is the rush defense bad? That's it's the, been so confusing to me. Yeah,
2: I think the problem is once again, and I think we have improved a bit in it is that secondary because you're right, front seven, you know, the quarterback's got about three seconds to make that decision, and one of our guys was probably going to get there. But like if you, we'll see if they do it against Montana. We have a tendency to give people like just unexplainable 10 yard cushions on wide receivers that aren't you know, Efren Chisholm or Sammy, Achem, right. Or Pierre Williams, one of these like star guys in the big sky, we would give the number three on, you know, Weber State with a quarterback that definitely can't throw a 40 yard bomb over the top of you, a 10 yard cushion. And we just kind of let teams beat us with kind of quick dink and dunk passes. And, you know, if they decided to try to run it like Eastern did in 2008 or 2019, when we beat them in the Kibbe down the first time, you know, you're going to get yourself in a hole because we weren't going to give those plays, but I think we just give up too much in the passing game.
1: So much of that's the Bresky scheme though, right? I mean, I guess when you're running that fire zone that he's run forever, like you got to either get home or make plays in the secondary or both. So I guess, I mean, that's probably a good diagnosis. If they are weak in the secondary, that would be a hindrance to that scheme. If it is like I think it is, um, I mean, I talked to Bresky today. like I I think it is largely the same in principle. So yeah, that would make sense.
3: Well, the other part too, Colter, the, this this persisted. what we really hung this conversation on, on was how the heck do you understand Idaho? Since Idaho's return to Big Sky, we've had inexplicable difficulties moving game to game where like in 2019, we beat Eastern and then lose on the road to Northern Colorado, which the version this year is Man. not absolutely destroyed. We embarrassed Portland State right most of the first half we looked like a playoff team against Portland State right and since then we've looked like we probably couldn't beat Northern Colorado and it's the same guys this has persisted over the course of four, of honestly every single big Sky season every, I think, I think this is That's also
1: I think this is also why I'm so perplexed by it because I, I check in on Idaho all the time but the games that I've watched in duration for the last couple of years, It'd been like Idaho, Idaho State when Idaho just rolled them. I mean, they like ended Matt Strzok's college career because they had so many defensive touchdowns in that game. Like, I watched Idaho beat Eastern twice, you know. So, I've seen Idaho, like you're saying, like win these big rivalry type games against good teams. So, I guess maybe I even have a skewed perception because I've actually seen them look really good. Like you're saying, Brian, it's so perplexing why they can't just. Each game, it doesn't turn the page.
2: Consistently put it together. Yeah. Um, All right. Any other takes on Idaho before we kind of roll into uh, score predictions? We all good to move. Cool. I got a thumbs up from Brian. I'm going to take it. All right. Score predictions. Coulter's going to be predicting with us, I believe, uh, which means he's undefeated. So we'll we'll keep this – see if he can go – Keep, keep his uh, zero in his defeated streak. Uh, I guess I'm at the bottom of the standings, huh? Where are the standings? I'm trying to look at them. All right, there we go. Uh, Chris is 43 and 15. Boatman is 46 and 12. Dallas is 48 and 10. And Brian is 50 and 8. Twitter went 3 and 3 last week. So, Idaho. I'm going to think this is a weird game. Both of these offenses look highly inept at times. I could see this one being Montana 19, Idaho 17. Safety somewhere.
0: Uh, I guess that means I'm up next. Yeah. So I'll read off Boatman. Uh, Boatman said Montana is going to win 21-20, to so he's also picking a close game. I, boy, I don't. I think that's going to happen. This is a. Wheels have come off the bus and the bus is sliding downhill while it's also on fire and there's like a shark tank at the bottom. Uh, I just don't see this being good for Idaho. I I know Montana has had their offensive struggles. The the secondary struggles of Idaho is going to mean Montana can score more. I'm thinking this game's going to be 35 to 14, Montana. Brian,
3: and then we'll have Coulter close them out. The matchup to me that's going to dictate this, it's, a, it's the intersection of strength on weakness for both Idaho and Montana. Montana has run the ball poorly this year, particularly in big sky play, but Idaho is not stopping the run nearly as well as we did previously. Right now we're giving up 4.4. 4. We're, we're number 10 rushing defense right now. Montana, they're rushing defense now. This is their strength, strength on one of our strengths, our, our rushing offense. I think Montana is going to win the matchup. Uh, their defense on our rushing on our rushing offense because I think unless Idaho can be more unpredictable in terms of throwing the ball, not throwing the ball, I just don't think we're going to be able to run the ball well enough against Montana. I'm going to say Montana wins
2: 24-13. Coulter, who do you what do you got for this one?
1: Well, I I think that the the mania that surrounds the Grizz, particularly when the closer you get to Washington Grizzly Stadium, like in Missoula around. Missoula County, Western Montana, whatever. Even that mania exists all the way to Moscow. Like This Grizz team was a team that was getting hyped to the level where people around the league were wondering if Montana was actually back. Bobby Houck, the guy who never deals in hyperbole whatsoever after the Cal Poly game. I guess it was his 100th win. It was the Western Illinois game. Uh, one of the new TV gals in in Missoula asked him, Coach, is this how you expected your return to your alma mater to play out? And he says, it is. I told these guys that in the locker room. Montana's back, they did it, and I'm proud of them. And I thought that was a a crazy level of hyperbole for a man who doesn't really deal in that. And basically since that moment, the weight of everything has come crashing down on Montana. And there's a billion different little things. There's not really one gigantic uh, big thing. And that's why there's not really like this one change you could make to get things going. But like just the mania that associates all of the narratives surrounding the Grizz, especially when they have been good, has been so um, tough to, to, to really – Parse through because it just it does influence all of the thoughts about it, and so at the end of the day, though, I think that people forget this is a defense that did not give up a single point for 175 consecutive minutes, and it's a, that same defense has been banged up the last several weeks. But I know they're expecting to get at least two, if not three, of their veteran D linemen back. They had uh, a sparse amount of snaps for Gavin Robertson, one of their veteran safeties. So they're going to be back to full strength defensively. And I think the, the, def- the defense is going to, what is going to have to carry the day for the offense because the offense has issues literally across the board, not ones that are unfixable and, in fact, ones that are fixable with within uh, experience and just progression and all that stuff. But I just think that Montana's defense is going to uh, reignite itself, and, and I think that that's going to be the thing that leads – the Grizz on Saturday. I I don't know how many points Montana's offense can possibly muster, but I think that they're going to find ways to score in other ways, and uh, I, I I think that Idaho is is uh, not going to have any room to breathe. So I'm going to say uh, i say 31 to 10 Grizz.
2: All right, uh, moving into the rest of the games, we have Idaho State traveling to Bozeman, Montana, to take. On the uh, – are they top five yet, Montana State Bobcats? Um,
1: I think there are six this week.
2: Six this week. All right. Uh, I mean, Bobcats in this one, Idaho State's just probably the team struggling with quarterback injuries as much as Idaho. I think both schools are the only ones without – with not even 100 completions on the season. So I think Bobcats, good defense. Idaho State, struggling offense. I know they beat UC Davis. They got their big win this year. They're not going to do it on the road in Bozeman. I'll go like 40 to 17 on this one.
0: Montana State is number eight in both polls this week, uh, just so you're all aware. Uh, Boatman picked Montana State. I absolutely, Montana State's going to win this by a mile. Idaho State, I don't know what happened against Cal Poly. or uh, UC Davis, Uh, there's no way they're going to do that again.
3: Well, we know what happened against UC Davis. UC Davis turned the ball over a ton, and Idaho State didn't. That was it. Uh, Hunter Rodriguez for Davis hasn't looked good since coming back from injury. Montana State, look, if you watch the Weber State-Montana State game on Friday, though uh, if you like scoring, that was not the best game to watch, there's no way to leave that game and not think, yeah, uh, Brent Vegan's squad has a serious defense. There's no way Idaho State's going to be able to – the UC Davis upset against Montana State, especially with Hunter Hayes at quarterback. No, I have no news on Vanderwall, uh, Tyler Vanderwolf Wa- from Idaho State. I don't know if anyone does. Uh, by the way, Andrew, Andrew Houghton, make you can Yeah, exactly. But uh, Montana State rolls, rolls, rolls heavy. I'm fine saying 45-7, something like that.
1: You nailed it. Uh, we were watching the heavyweight championship fight over here uh, two weeks ago, and Montana uh, they beat Cal Poly 45-7, and one of our colleagues and buddies. Uh, I was a TV guy. Who was over here watching watching the boxing match too, and uh, we, he got the press release. He must have gotten it late for Montana State or whatever. But he just looks over at us. He goes, "I swear to God, every time Montana State plays a game in Bozeman this year, it scores forty-five to seven, and they have had two 45 to sevens, and they had another forty to seven. So uh, I think 45-7 forty-five sevens. It. I think I'm just going forty-five seven. I think the Bobcats are. I think they're the most talented team in the country." I think Eric Berry is the most talented player in the country, but I think that Montana State's the most talented team in the country in the conference. Excuse me, I think Eric Berry is the most talented player in the country, though. I will I will affirm that. I think Montana State has probably the the widest breadth of of headlining players uh, within the league, and uh, a lot of those guys are on defense. And I think that they're executing at an incredibly high level. Last week at Weber, like their offense didn't look good but that was almost kind of by design. I mean, Brent vegan has said that on the record, like three different times. They knew they had the scheme to just whip Weber. And they just wanted to put those guys in a position to just keep rolling. And they were rolling so hard that when, even when they had a 13, seven lead, it was like, yeah, man, Montana state is fully controlling this game. Cause they were, I mean, Weber got nothing in the run game. And then when they knocked Josh Davis out, which he'll be out for the while. Cause he, that was a bad injury. Um, uh, then they were able to just suffocate him. I mean, that they, they was never really in question, even though there was only a six-point win. So I think the Bobcats are rolling right now. Uh, we're only a couple weeks away because I think that uh, Eastern Montana State both have really winnable games the next couple weeks. Bobcats have a bye next week. And uh, that November 6th showdown in Cheney, that could be a de facto conference championship game. So I, I think the Bobcats are going to roll this weekend against Idaho State.
2: Next up, uh, the Weber State Wildcats go to Cheney, Washington. Play the Eastern Washington Eagles. Uh, for me, kind of looking at this one, I think it's going to be closer than people think. I think when you're looking at it, something that gets like underestimated is the fact that Weber State has the number one pass defense. So you kind of have the number one pass defense going up against the number one pass offense. Weber, you look at their losses, James Madison, um, Montana State teams that can successfully run the ball down your throat. Oh, Alonzo Gilliam at UC Davis. Also, you know, Isaiah Alfonse at Montana state, like star running backs. I'm not saying that Tamarok, Pierce Pearson, these guys aren't that. Um, I think if anyone's going to have a shot at slowing them down, it's obviously probably Montana state and Weber. So I could say coming off what apparently was a Eastern Washington really want to get revenge type game. Uh, whatever an Eastern Washington letdown looks, but they're still going to come away with the win. So Maybe it's only like 28 to 20. F- I don't know. But I think Weber State – Eric Berry has not put up 600 yards against Weber State. Uh, Weber State has oh, two a defense. They're DBU in the Big Sky. They're DBU in the FCS. Uh, this game's going to look a little bit different uh, than, obviously, Eastern versus Idaho. And Weber State versus a lot of the teams we've seen Weber play so far this year, they actually match up almost better against this type of team but I don't think they have the guns on offense to keep up with what Barry and co are going to do
0: Dallas. Yeah. Boltman jumped in and said Eastern. I've also got to agree. It's it's Eastern. I do think it's going to be pretty close. I just don't think Weber state is going to be able to score enough to keep up with Eastern. Their defense is obviously insane. Uh, they're still very, very talented there, but offensively, I just don't think they, they never really have a whole great plan under Jay Hill. It's always been defense wins there, but and that works. It's worked great for him, obviously, four years in a row. But I just don't see them scoring enough to hang with Eastern. I think Eastern's going to get to that high 20s. Like you said, Chris, I think 28's probably the magic number. I don't know if I don't know if Weber can get into the 20s. I'd be shocked if they get more than two touchdowns. This to me,
3: this actually is a revenge game for one guy on Eastern because Weber is the only team that Eric Berry hasn't looked good against. It was one of his first starts back in 2018. You know, since since that start, he's he's rolled through the entire league. Thing I'm going to look at for Weaver. We've talked about different a- aspects of their offense. Weaver, they play an incredibly tough schedule, so we have to bracket that. I don't think they can run the ball well enough to control time of possession the way they need to,
1: especially with teams. Josh Davis out.
3: Especially with Davis out. Especially when they don't have great quarterbacks anyway. So Eastern can say, "Hey, prove it," but Weaver's. Weber's averaging 3.5 yards per rush. They are just not running the ball the way a Jay Hill team needs to. And I do not think they're going to be able to keep the Eastern offense off the field, which by the way, Eastern offense doesn't even need that much time. So Eastern wins, I think it's, I don't know, like kind of close-ish, but
1: 38-13. Coulter? Yeah, I mean – there was only a couple of games I ever watched when Cooper Cup was at Eastern that he got slowed down, I and he never got stopped, ever. Not even close, but some of the lowest-scored games during the Cup era at Eastern were against Weaver. I think Weaver even beat Eastern thir- 14-13. I might have misremembered that. It might have been Eastern that won 14-13, but they had a 14-13 game. And I remember thinking that was unbelievable because that was in the, that same little time span when – Montana Montana or excuse me Montana State and Eastern played back-to-back years 52 51 in Bozeman and then 55 52 in genie so I thought it was so amazing there was a 14-13 game involving that same Eastern team um but so Jay Hill will have something for this Eastern team they'll they'll be able to slow them down better than than most teams in the league have but that said I mean you mentioned the uh the Weber offensive line uh, they had a couple Bad injuries in the spring, where those guys that are supposed to be headlining and starting players are still coming back, they're back, but they're not full strength. That in itself uh, hurts Weber. The fact that Bronson Barron, after his injury, he still seems a little gun shy, and that hurts Eastern. The, the or excuse me, Weber, uh, the quarterback there, Bronson Barron, and the fact that Josh Davis is out that hurts their run game too. And I actually think Weber has pretty good skill players like Ty McPherson and Rashid Shahid, like those guys. Justice Malone, like those guys are good players like that that would be one of the better skill if you gave that skill position i'm trying to think of like a good quarterback comp but like those skill, those skill players are good top half of the league for sure um but we were just they're struggling offensively and i i think that just they've lost their edge they lost that little chip that they had when they won four straight big sky championships made five straight playoffs like I think Jay Hill expected to be out from Weber at this point. Like I think he expected to have a, a you know, a Utah State like job, and and he was in the mix for that job. He didn't get that job. I mean, Wazoo's open. I know you guys are are real close to Wazoo, and and uh, by the way, I'm not going to derail this podcast by uh, saying anything more than what a hill to die on, man. Uh, but that's going to be an amazing, amazing uh, coaching search. But Jay Hill's going to be on the, on the list for that. I mean, I already saw a story that said he was on the list for that, too. So I do, I do think there's a lot going on at Weber. I think it's really hard to maintain a championship level for, I mean, even four years in a row is an amazing level. I mean, even Eastern during their dominance in the 2010s, they had ups and downs, you know, like won the national championship in 2010, missed the playoffs in 2011, you know. Like they had multiple times when they missed the playoffs, too. It's hard to sustain it for multiple years in a row, and Weber might be going into that and going through that. All that's to say, though, that Eastern right now they have the most difficult part of their schedule coming up. They got Weber, they got Montana State, and they got UC Davis. Like that, it's proven time for a team that's seven and zero, number two in the country. I think they're really good, but they're going to have to prove that they're really good. They can't afford to, uh, you know, stub their toe. And you never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going to do what, who's going to get knocked out, all that stuff. That's all to say, though, I, I still think that Eastern's probably going to roll in this game. I'm saying like, hmm. Oh, I'll, go, I'll go 35-17 Eastern Washington. One point we also – just real quick, Chris.
3: We have <laughs> yeah. to acknowledge that Eastern Washington's line is radically improved. Like, they're they're just handling physical yeah. teams better this year, yeah. which is part of why Weaver to me, seems to be – why I'm picking Eastern.
2: Actually, I, I had a different point to kind of side derail real quick because Colter kind of brought it up and it flashed across the screen. Is Jeff Choke going to have his pick of the litter of Washington schools this offseason?
3: Well,
1: there's no, because their best no, is leaving. There's, there's no <laughs> way. There's no way. I love Cho. Cho my guy. He, he's he's one of my favorite coaches I ever dealt with. Been around, talked to, anything. There's no way Washington could or would hire Jeff Cho. But what about those Washington's critters? like the Michigan of the West Coast, man? You got to have a Michigan man. You got to have a Washington man. Like Cho is. So awesome. But he can't be the head coach at Washington, man. He could be the head coach of Washington State, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. But he could not be the head coach of Washington, just personality-wise.
3: Can you also derail this for two more seconds, Coulter, and speak to Vandal fans? There's speculation that we're going to have an opening. We cannot confirm or deny that, but we can confirm enthusiasm. Sure. Could you speak to Vandal fans and explain to them, we should not care if a good head coach has an Idaho background?
1: That's true, but what if you can get a good head coach that has a
3: Idaho background? <laughs> well, I mean, if, he has, if we can get a good one with a background, yeah,
2: we'll take it. What you.
1: if you can get Jeff Choke? Uh,
2: yes. You guys <laughs> yes, never please. thought about that, did you? <laughs> I, I, I've I heard he's not a big Idaho guy, because uh, I and you might know better than I would. I heard maybe didn't get an offer being from St. Mary's out of college, and then when he coached at BSU, he kind of went full turncoat, not a Vandal fan remotely.
1: He definitely was a Vandal guy growing up, though, and sometimes you can't get it out of your soul. I don't know. They also, were-
3: Vandal fans think Jeff Choate hates Idaho because when he was at WSU, he correctly said, we were a program more suited for the big sky. And a ton of Vandal fans have not let that go. He was wrong. I mean, Choate
1: tells it like it is, man. If, 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 if people – I know you guys have noticed, but if people have around that they haven't noticed, like, he just tells you. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> he just tells you.
2: The big sky needs choke back. Uh, anyways, moving on to uh, the next pick here. here. Uh, we got UC Davis at Cal Poly. Um, All right. Bear with me here. At some point, Bo Baldwin has to show progress. And I'm talking to two, maybe three, Bo Baldwin-like fanboys. I'm saying, like, this could be that game where he makes, like, that that – we're turning the corner kind of statement. Like I can build on this. I can recruit on this. It's a rivalry in our house. But if you know me, I'm saving that turn it moment against Sac State. I think UC Davis wins this one, but I don't think you'll expect like getting trampled over Mustangs uh, in this game. I think you'll see a little little fight out of this slow Mustangs this weekend.
0: Or uh, Dallas. So Boatman also said Davis. Uh, that's going to be three for three for us, Davis. Uh I'm going to speak it into existence. This is going to be a bloodbath. UC Davis is going to finally right the ship with Rodriguez. They're going to crush Cal Poly, and it's going to give me that little sliver of hope that if there's a potential opening for Idaho, maybe a former Eastern coach is going to get a phone call, and maybe we're going to get to see him on the sidelines of the Kibbe Dope. I'm not going to say the name because I... Uh, I just I've got to speak this into the existence the correct way, but this game's going to be a thirty point blowout. e
3: the atmosphere,
2: baby. Hashtag
3: damaged goods, Dallas. Um, yeah, Davis is going to win this. This is this might be a good chance for Hunter Rodriguez to to get back on track because he's looked pretty rough in his his two return games. Through more more picks than touchdowns against Idaho State. Through more picks than touchdowns against Northern Colorado. So that's, I guess, what we're looking for here is can Hunter Rodriguez start to look like the guy uh, prior to his injury?
1: Man, I think there's so much of the – I think that the time off for so many of these teams or just the sporadic sporadic nature of it all, no matter if there was extended time off or the weird spring season or whatever, I think there was physical and – mental advantages and disadvantages. Like I think that the Montana schools particularly were having so much time to train without playing games and like having guys be able to get healthy and and bigger, stronger, faster, all that advantage. But I think one of the biggest disadvantages is even just, even if it's only just like an extra year or just like a skewed uh, situation exposure and what exposure does and like hype and the narrative around your team. And like when you have to learn or relearn how to handle success or learn or relearn how to handle failure. Like that's one of the biggest factors in the league right now. Like I really think that Montana was riding as high as I've seen a team ride in the league in a minute. And they were riding as high as I've seen the Grizz ride since 2009. And it, and we're talking, this was we we're only the Grizz have only played six games. And we're talking about the highest of the highs, and now we're talking, doing a whole podcast. This is my ninth hour of talking about what's wrong with the Grizz. That's a microcosm for the league, though, right? Like, UC Davis had this great start. They they beat Tulsa. Dan Hawkins proclaims on the record, this is my greatest team ever. Best team I had at UC Davis. Dale Lindsay from San Diego, the longtime head coach, he goes on my show, says, I agree with Hawk, best UC Davis team I've seen. Davis is wiping the floor with teams. Coaches are saying, "Yeah, Hawks' best team. Hawks got them back. Houston Davis is back. They lose in the whole arena. They lose it. They lose the Idaho State." I just think that the the profound roller coaster that always exists, the fact that there was a, a little bit more than a year away from that, and also just like the heightened level of sensitivity that just exists in the world now, it's a huge factor in uh, in Big Sky Conference football right now. So you want, I mean, that's the number one thing. Is like, when does that exposure? When does that Hype impact Eastern, right? Like when Aaron Best literally pounds the table and says Eric Berry is the best player in the country, he does it every press conference. That's great. It's awesome to empower your players. What happens when it when it's egg on your face, though, right? Like the hype, the exposure, the criticism. It's the same thing with like a team like Idaho. You're coming off a of loser by 50. How do they handle that, right? Like, how do they handle that that level of scrutiny like we're giving them right now? So all to say that I, I UC Davis is good and I'm picking UC Davis but I just don't know if it's uh sometimes when the when the hype gets overwhelming in this exact scenario it could be the thing that derails you it's just a matter of it can't get it back on track but I think that Davis can.
2: Coulter flip me. Can I change my pick? weber I feel like you're right. This is like Eastern's moment like we had Montana's and Davis's oh man and that defense. I'll I'll flip my pick. I'm gonna go Weber. I got talked into it there. This is their pounding the table. Look at Barrier, tagging Heisman, like maybe getting caught up in the hype and forgetting like they have the best pass defense in the conference coming into town. I'm flipping. Uh, Are you the shifting
3: ed- back to Weber and Eastern because you're saying that is more interesting than Davis, Polly.
2: Well, I already picked Paul or Davis, yeah. but uh, moving on, NAU at Sac State. All right, I know they beat Montana, so I'm just like. Making an omelet on my face here. I'm still not a Sac State believer. I actually am going to take an A-U. Wow. And that's all I got other than I just – I don't know. There's something about Sac State. I can't explain it. I just don't believe in them.
1: Why? What What if –
2: actually – It might har- be I haven't watched enough of them until the Montana game, to it's be hard honest.
1: To, it's hard to proclaim something like this. I am not proclaiming it. I'm just – Speaking that it is a possibility, there is a scenario in which Sacramento State has the best head coach and the best defensive coordinator in the Big Sky Conference. That's a huge advantage. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying that's the fact, but I'm saying that that is a possibility. I'm itching here. This is my hill, and I'm just going to have to die on it. I said <laughs> I don't believe
3: in
2: Zach State. <laughs> I could have to lay in this bed I made.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Boatman. Went Sac State. Obviously, Boatman was the only person on this podcast that predicted Sacramento State beating Montana. I don't know if that was a divine moment for him or if it was just trying to claw his way past the professor in our standings. But Boatman picked Sac State. He's got him again this week. I have Sac State as well. I think NAU, now they've figured out their quarterback situation from the spring, but they're still – I don't know if I would take three players in their – They're starting 22 over Sac States. It's just, there's a discrepancy there. So here's the thing with NAU. RJ Martinez was a third-string quarterback
3: heading into this season. Since he's taken over, it took him a couple games to find his bearings. The last two games, he's put up Eric Berrier-ish kind of numbers. He has 11 touchdowns, uh, combining passing and rushing. Last two games, averaging right around 400 yards per game. But asterisk. It's, against, it's at home against Idaho State and at home against Southern Utah. Sacramento State is an absolutely different monster to me. I've been high on Sacramento State defensively for most of the season. The issue to me was it. it Sacramento State looks like it's taking them time to get that whole Jake Dunaway, Asher O'Hara thing um, pounded out. And there's no out.
1: There's no pounded out. Go read Andrew's story on Skyline. They have no intention. There's not. There's not a quarterback battle. At Sac State, they're running two different offenses and two different quarterbacks, straight up. Yeah, no, what I mean
3: is having running two separate quarterbacks translate into, like, a nice-looking offensive output. It's like against uh, Idaho State. Sacramento State barely wins, scores 24 points. If Tyler Vanderwaal sure. doesn't go down, Sacramento State probably loses that game. Sure. So after Hunter Hayes came in.
1: Sure, I they, just watched them get thirty yeah. first downs in Missoula and make the Grizz defense look pedestrian. So, But
3: that's what I mean is as of late – that has seemed to look better than like against Northern Iowa. Sacramento state has six turnovers. Otherwise they're relative. They would have, that would have been much closer game without six turnovers. I'm going to pick Sacramento state. Um, I I've been on the Troy Taylor train for the entire season. My take on Sacramento state whole season has been, they've got to figure out a way to get enough points. And I think they found that out. I I think RJ Martinez is the right guy at Northern Arizona. I just don't think he's going to look all big sky once he quits playing. Idaho State, Southern Utah.
1: What happened to the Oklahoma State kid at NAU? He wasn't very
3: good, and he got hurt.
1: He got hurt, and then he kind of fell behind. Okay. See, this is another tangent, but I won't even take it down the full tangential way. I think the spring season disconnected many of the teams from the big sky from some of the primary media bases in the big sky and it made it seem as if it would I don't know. There's this huge disconnect, so it was so hard to follow. So, like, a lot of like – I don't even know what happened to Woodkey because of this weird disconnect. Anyways, um, I think Sac State's really good. I think they have been, and I think they've always been searching for the right coaches. But I think they got them now. I mean, Troy T- – this is a two-head coach system. It's the same thing Troy Taylor had going at Folsom High School when he was coaching Jake Browning. You know, national record, 229 touchdowns in his career. Like, Folsom was, was transcendent at the high school level, and Troy Taylor was the co-head coach. He was running the offense. He had a guy running the defense. It's what Sac State's doing. I appreciated Troy Taylor's candidness in the post game press conference against Montana so much. He He said – Somebody asked him a question about his defense. He goes, "I gotta be honest with you guys, because I'm the offensive coordinator. I'm reviewing film and talking to the players on the sidelines." He's like, "I don't watch the defense during the game ever. I have no, I have no clue what your question is." <laughs> and so, uh, I thought that was refreshing. I thought it was a, a sign of what t- Sac State does. I think they do it different than everybody else in the league. I'm a true believer in Sac State. I got Sac State all the way. I, I think Sac State's going to win all the rest of the games that they play up until the Cosway Classic against UC Davis. And today I would pick them in that game too, but I just think that they're going to win out until that rivalry game at the end of the year. Over okay. Eastern? Oh, man, I forgot that they play Eastern. You're right. Thank you for correcting me there because you're right. They do play Eastern. That game is where, Davis? I think, I'm think i pretty sure that's in Sacramento. Just because my,
3: what I remember off the top of my me, head,
0: me.
3: we could probably filibuster and have Dallas look it up. But yeah, uh, Eastern state plays state. a lot of their rough games at home. As can say, it doesn't look yes. like they play Eastern.
1: That's what I'm saying. Sac State doesn't play Eastern. Davis plays Eastern. Plays Eastern. Right. I'm, no, that's what I'm saying is that I think Sac State wins Northern Arizona, Northern Colorado, Cal Poly, Portland State. Exactly. I think Sac State wins out until the Davis game. Yeah. And, Sac that, state and, also- that, and that plants them square in the playoff mix. Yeah.
2: Yeah. True. I mean, they're getting, uh, I think they've came in at analyst. I'm sure Dallas will have it, but like at 22 or something this week. So, you know, they're back in the top 25 and we've seen how a couple of big wins, especially with like the way the middle of the stats poll this year has been like, if you're ranked like 13 through 20, you're probably going to lose. And we're just going to shift that spot every single week. Um, so I say that's fair. Sac State could easily be in the top 12 this week. But, you know, po- come Monday when that poll comes out for next week. Yeah. Can
3: I pause this really quick? Yeah. Just from a Vandal perspective, I got the Sac State schedule wrong, Eastern schedule. Sorry, guys. How jealous are Vandals of the schedule Sacramento State has?
2: Very. We called it at the beginning of the year. They had the, what, second easiest schedule, I think
1: it was? Yeah, because we don't want to
3: just play
2: the lower tier teams.
1: In my schedule ranking, I had Sac State as the easiest schedule in the league.
3: But good Lord, a schedule that you could deal with a come-apart on, that's Sacramento State, whereas, like, Idaho – when we're mid, when we're on dumpster fire watch, we have Eastern and then Montana back to back. I mean, good lord. Anyway,
2: not important. And, and Montana State and the rivalry in Pocatello on the horizon.
1: <laughs> what a league! I can what say this on this podcast because I like the Idahos in the Big Sky Conference. What a league! Like, when there's got to be a change to the league, man. Like, not playing everybody's stupid. Not playing yeah. half like there are four teams every year you don't play—that's so dumb.
2: Yep. We always say, like, I'm not mad that Southern Utah's leaving. I'm mad that we didn't kick him out, uh, which leads us to – Brian, do you want to sell this one? This was your – I think this is Peg Brian's game of the week.
3: Oh, this is no question. This is the national game of the week we're going to talk about next. This is actually why Coulter's on the show. Like, it's cool that he covers Montana and all, but this is what he came here for. The final installment of the Big Sky Conference's directional championship is here. Southern Utah – Northern Colorado someone is going to leave Cedar City with a win, Chris.
1: This is a brutal uh, game to pick, man. This is cruel that you guys are doing this.
2: Hey, what a what a league, huh? What a league.
1: What a <laughs> league, man. This is this is you know here's what here's the saddest truth. I'm sorry to interrupt you guys. This would be it. the this would be a almost ESPN U caliber division 2 game. So why don't these two schools just get a clue, man? I'm just saying, man. Like I love Southern Utah, I love Northern Colorado. Like this, is a, this, is a world class D two game. D two football is sweet. I spent three years going D two football. It's a great D two football game.
2: Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it like this. Uh, those in the Big Sky Podcast Network chat are probably not gonna be surprised by this at all. I'm taking Northern Colorado. I actually think they win by probably two possessions. Though they have the worst pass offense in the league right now, they're going up against the worst pass defense in the league this year. And when you give me those kind of options and pairings, I'm going to take Dylan McCaffrey and what he is and True Wilson in the running back position for Northern Colorado and guys with big game experience to be able to beat in this glorified D2 matchup, as Colter eloquently put it, a great D2 matchup. I'm going to go with the pedigree to win out here and the athletes to win out. And though I do think, you know, Locke, Icahono, Hano Davis, and Landon Mesum are awesome for Southern Utah, I just think Northern Colorado kind of proves that they are the solid number 11 pick in the big sky this year, and somewhere below them is Southern Utah and Cal Poly. I will take Northern Colorado by two possessions.
1: One other point, one other caveat here, just, just a hypothetical. Yep. Has there ever been – Imagine, okay, so here's your hypothetical. Imagine if Idaho or Montana or Montana State had a defense that was the caliber of Southern Utah's defense in 2015. And imagine that then that team, that program, that unit became what Southern Utah has been in the last three years. Imagine if they were in a, a market and a, a fan base with much more engagement. Yeah, I can't imagine the dumpster fire that that would be. Southern Utah had six dudes on their defense in 2015 that got shots in the NFL, three of them who got active roster spots and two of them who still play in the NFL, and they are now, like, historically bad the last couple years. I just always think, like, if that exact scenario played out of Idaho, for example, my God, like, the meltdown that would be happening would just be unbelievable.
2: Fact. Uh,
0: Dallas. So Boltman uh, left us a nice little sentence to recap this game. It's the rivalry that no one knew existed. Even the two schools weren't aware. So <laughs> I don't even want to like I don't even want to talk about this game. I'm going to pick SUU, but I am I am actually devastated that we are losing Southern Utah because Brian's jokes about the directional championship is one of my favorite recurring segments that's been going on for years at this point. I think you know, the the Southland Conferences has a, supposedly put out an invitation to Texas A&M Commerce. They're going to be joining in as the ninth member of the Southland. I think they should kick Southeastern Louisiana out, and we should invite them to the big sky, because I think that would take Brian's joke to a whole new level.
2: <laughs> just, get, just like have the law tech, like basically make the whack where we had law tech in the whack. And it was exactly. like, why? You have law yeah. tech in Hawaii.
3: <laughs> I mean, Dallas has it right. I mean, Coulter, look, he has the hot take that weirdly big sky teams should all play each other. Dallas goes the other way. No. Not only do we <laughs> not play each other, we it's need we word. need the comp- – this is part of equity. If the entire compass is not represented, what are we doing here? Northeastern State as well. Yeah, but as far as the game, this is going to – this is the match of the season, guys. You think I'm joking because I'm – Southern Utah, number 203 Sagarin team. Northern Colorado, number two of five Sagarin team.
1: Wait, how Coulter, many teams are ranked in that?
3: it so counts FBS too. Two hundred. Oh, no, I know, I
1: know, I know, I know. But how many teams? What's the low? What's the low end? Like, what's what's the last ranking in that ranking? What number? Colter, you should keep talking because that will filibuster while I scroll. Uh, uh, okay, okay. So I'm just wondering. I, in my estimation, I think there's about four hundred. I think there's about 240 Division one teams. Maybe 245. So our two- our
3: crack, crack research team says 258. Yes.
1: Oh! God. Oh! Wow! Two fifty-eight. Okay, so so you're telling me, Northern Colorado and Southern Utah, there is fifty-five Division One teams worse than them.
2: I mean, there are the Mississippi Valley States. That
0: there, is mind blowing to me. The entirety of the Pioneer Conference.
1: <laughs> Half of the Patriots. Oh man! You're right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Well, I guess we're including non-scholarship. Okay, I get it. I get it. It's it's less embarrassing to be Drake though than it is to be. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to demean these. I I like these. I actually like a lot of people at these universities. Yeah. And they're Southern they're Utah
2: very, fire social media team. I mean, they, and they've always been so good people. to me because
1: I mean, when we first started at Skyline Southern Utah was creaming the crop, so we blew Southern Utah all the way up. Like I, I interviewed Ed Lamb and featured Southern Utah's guys more than almost anybody in the league at Skyline. I mean, I got James Cowser on on ten. I mean, like I still hit up James Cowser all the time. Like yeah, no. They they've been good to me, but man, those two teams are in a state of disarray. I, I guess I again I'm not trying to. This is just my objective analysis. It has nothing to do with anything personal. I couldn't believe how how poorly prepared Northern Colorado was when I watched them in Bozeman against Montana State. You like, say that
3: Coulter, but what if I told you they scored fifty four points in their last twenty quarters? <laughs>
1: Man, I mean, like I was doing some research for a little write-up about Northern Colorado's history and like what Ed McCaffrey inherited. I was – one of our feature guys uh, had written a story about McCaffrey, so I was just putting some numbers in there. All right, I'm going to tee this up for you guys. We'll just go one at a time. We'll start with Chris. How many league games has Northern Colorado won since they joined the Big Sky Conference in 2006?
2: League games. All right, so you're playing nine a year. Eight a year. Eight a year, yeah. Sorry, eight a year. Uh, I'll
3: go 30. 30.
1: Okay, Brian, what do you got?
3: 15 times three is 45. Not giving them three wins a year. Uh, let's call it 35.
1: Okay, Dallas, what do you got? I'll go with 24. Dallas wins ding ding ding. 24 league wins since 2006 for Northern Colorado. In fact, you guys were both Brian and Chris were so high that Northern Colorado has won 36 games total total since moving to Division One. 36 wins since 2006.
3: That was the math I was doing since uh, on 06. That was the 15 times three. Yeah, but uh, 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 separate, uh, separate question though, before the pick, we all know Cal Poly is a dumpster fire. Sure. How much further in Sagarin rankings do you think Cal Poly is below? Northern Colorado's at two hundred five. Southern See, Utah two hundred three. I don't. I don't
1: is? believe in these. I don't believe in these rankings whatsoever because Cal Poly's not a dumpster fire. Cal Poly's going through a systematic remake. Bo, Baldwin, Bo Baldwin's is one of the greatest coaches in the league's history, man. I don't think that. I don't know if if uh, Ed McCaffrey is a good coach on any level. I like Ed McCaffrey. He's come on my show a couple times. It's been very. Um, it was star striking, star striking for my 14-year-old self, certainly, Kevin McCaffrey on the show. But uh, there's nothing that proves to me that he has any plan for what that place could become, whereas I fully see the plan of Cal Poly.
3: Let me change it up so semantics aren't a problem. You're okay saying Cal Poly right now. The plan's not close to seeing fruition.
1: Oh, no question.
3: Okay, yeah, that's what I meant. So Cal Poly in – not not being close to where Bo Baldwin is wanting them to be and where we expect they maybe could be in a future that's not today, how far below do you think the Cal Poly is, Northern Colorado?
0: We just lost Coulter. For anybody listening to this, Coulter's audio just dropped literally the second Brian asked that question.
3: Okay, I'll answer it for you Just uh, and then get to my pick to, to get him back on here. 12 slots. Cal Poly is 217. Cal Poly has looked awful. They were so bad in the spring, they quit. northern That's how thats how low Northern Colorado is. And that's why I know Southern Utah is tough to pick because they just don't know how to win. But Southern Utah is at least competitive in games. They did beat Tarleton State this year, who was 204, Sagarin, so not a big win. I'm picking Southern Utah. Because I at least see fire. I at least see them hanging with Eastern for like a quarter. Whereas, like Northern Colorado, the moment the game started, Northern Colorado's question was hey, can we look worse than Idaho next week? I don't know. Let's try. Southern Utah at least stays competitive. Northern Colorado cannot get on the board. Dylan McCaffrey's had a single game this year where his yards per attempt has been as high as
1: 5.6. I mean, yeah. Every, which, by the
3: way, that is not even good for a running back.
1: No, he's unfunctional, man. I watched him live.
3: Against UC Davis, he averaged 3.9 yards per attempt. Like There's just nothing going on in Northern Colorado. So final directional championship, the Big Sky goes to Southern Utah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean, again, I'm not trying to be a hater on anybody, but like Demario Warren has won a Big Sky championship and uh, been a Big Sky Coach of the Year. And, like, you could say all you want that that's Ed Lamp's players, but he still did it. Like, I watched Northern Colorado and Bozeman, and uh, there was very few snaps. They got lined up correctly on defense. Like, it it was was just a a full-on lack of preparation. I, I don't think that that's, like, something toxic or anything about, like, Ed McCaffrey and those guys. I just think this is a guy that coached two years of high school football. That's it. That's all. And now he's got a D1 job. And, like, what have we seen across the FCS? Like, Eddie George, Deion Sanders, these dudes think that their name is going to win them games. They don't understand. Like, there's good-ass coaches in the Big Sky Conference, man. There's good coaches in the Big Sky. Like, you're not just going to roll in with you and your sons and just take over the league. And, like, I'm not accusing them of that or anything. I, I'm not saying it's devious or anything like that. It's more, like, just naive. But it also just kind of makes me laugh that, like, there's it's just no chance. I Southern Utah can't stop anybody. I still think Southern Utah wins this game by a couple scores.
3: And I don't think any show in the nation is talking about Southern Utah for 20 minutes, guys. True.
2: And I was going to say, hey, it, it, so. is working. it is working at Jackson State, though. They got one close loss to an FBS school, 12-7, otherwise unbeaten. So yeah, yeah. We'll for sure. Neon, no, for Neon, sure. Neon, for sure. They're top 25. But you're right. Other than that spanking against Alabama a and we still don't know much about Jackson State. But, yeah, it differences. They have a lot of, I'd like to see where most of the SWAC ranks in the uh, Sagarin, but I'm guessing they are closer to the Northern Colorado, Southern Utah range than, per se, the Montana, Montana State range. Anyways, uh, so that's it. Yeah, we got all the picks in.
3: Does that mean culture at this point, until further notice, Ed McCaffrey is the Zach
1: Claus of Big Sky Football? Oh, buddy. Oh, wow. We're not even the
3: basketball
1: uh, season. Yeah, man, we have two more weeks. I so just, we just submitted my that. i do I just submitted my poll uh, and my preseason all team for hoops, and uh, I gotta tell you, I did not vote Idaho last for the first time in three years, boys.
2: Wow. Uh, yeah. I'll look forward to that article on Skyline's. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I got to say, I voted Eastern Washington last. I don't know That's how. I don't know how you can possibly follow the league and not not vote Eastern last in the men's side of the league. I mean,
2: the only school with less returners. Yeah, the,
1: the whole the whole team walked out. You guys had what seven, eight guys transfer. Yeah, but like what uh, star? What star though? Like, there's a big difference between a bunch of walk on guys that didn't maybe want to finish their academic education in Idaho and like the three best players in the league walk it out the door, man. Yeah.
2: Yeah. True. Very true. Um, okay. Well that was uh tubs at the club and big sky breakdown. Hey, great, great little collab episode. We went an hour and 42 minutes. Gotta love it. But we still had even peaked around 12 concurrent listeners. So that's always awesome for a live show. For those of you that are listening, at least you can, you know, skip through the parts you don't like or enjoy all of it. Um, Coulter, any final takes from you before we close it on our end of the show that you'd like to let Vandal fans or whoever else may tune in to maybe some Eastern fans with a little hangover, hoping we'd still be falling apart?
1: Yeah, Daily Radio Show Missoula that does podcasts every day. And like you guys mentioned, it's segmented out so you can kind of see what's going when. And uh, we talk a ton about Montana sports across the board, but uh, we also talk a ton of Big CI conference stuff too. So if and when you're interested, you can definitely go find it. Mike Breske, uh, Idaho defensive coordinator, is going to be on with me tomorrow. Uh, efforting Trey Walker by the end of the uh, week as well. And uh, so you can find all that stuff on the Nuanas Now podcast. And again, if you subscribe, it's all good. I don't really care if you don't worry about high school basketball or volleyball or whatever, Montana, you can find the stuff that we do talk about that would be interesting to Vandals and big sky conference fans. And I also run skyline sports. So skyline sports, MT.com, this podcast here can be found there. Uh, as a part of big sky breakdown podcast series, we have a a variety of podcast series there as well as, as well as uh, sports writing and uh, photography analysis, all that sort of stuff too. So, um, Yeah, man, come check us out. Either 1029ESPN.com or SkylineSportsMT.com.
2: Yeah, and if folks aren't aware of Skyline Sports, it's literally the hub for Big Sky content. So if you haven't discovered it, it's your your lucky day. You just discovered it today. Uh, All right, that was Tubbs of the Club. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys live sometime around an hour-ish, maybe sooner after the game on Saturday. 4.30 4.30 Pacific time in the Kibbe Dome. We'll see you guys there. It's time for Colby and Cuff to play is out the Moscow drinking team song. Go, Vandals.
0: Fire, Paul. Go, Vandals. So raise your
2: glass and have a drink with me. Here's to the Vandals in the crowd. All just out there living the tree.
0: Part of one
2: and only Moscow drinking.